to welcome you to Halifax Christian Church this morning. Hopefully all the circles behind me don't mesmerize you. But we're starting a series of teaching on our circles of influence. So that's why our planning team went wild with the circles in behind. A number of years ago, I had a brochure with me, and it was for men with epilepsy, because six times I've had seizures. They were all back. The last one I had was in 1988. But there were all these instructions in there on things that you couldn't do. That you couldn't approach the TV without covering one eye in case it would set off a seizure. And strobe lights were terrible. So I'm glad I'm not looking around behind me the whole time. I have to have a hand over one eye. But over the next few weeks, we have some exciting things happening. Next Sunday is actually the first anniversary of Beyond Us. So that commitment Sunday that we had in April of last year, and people came and made their commitments toward our renovation project. And I'm one of the ones who made some annual commitments. And I look forward to this time of year because their income tax has come back. So it's perfect to make my commitment and donation this year. And then in the month of May, we're going to do something completely different. Remember Monty Python? They would always say, and now for something completely different, but it was always weird like everything else. But this is something completely different that we're going to be doing in the month of May. It's a teaching series called The Blessed Life, and it's just amazing teaching by this individual, and he does it so well that we said, we've got to actually just show that on video. We can't do justice to it in any other way. So we'll still be worshiping together and having other various aspects in our worship service, but watching Robert Morse or listening to him teach on the blessed life. So please schedule yourself to be here each of those weeks because it will make a huge difference in your life. I was 40 days after the resurrection and Jesus was standing at the top of the mountain and here he was, the promised Messiah, the one who had predicted his resurrection and that had just happened. Emmanuel, God with us, is there in the flesh. And then he's speaking to his followers, and he gives them his final instructions. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here he is basically passing the torch on to his disciples, and he's passing it on to us as well. And he talks about this sphere of influence that we have. That for us, that it starts in our homes, that it starts in our church, it starts in our city, that it starts in our province, then our influence moves out to our country, and then from there it moves on to the rest of the world. So today, in beginning this series of teaching on your circle, we're going to look at that closest circle of influence, which is in our homes, it's our friends. And it doesn't matter where you come in the birth order in your family, it doesn't matter what position you hold out there in the workplace, you have a circle of influence and you can use it to influence others for Christ. So this is an important concept to grasp, because if you believe that the Bible is true, if you believe that Jesus spoke the truth when he said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. 
if you believe that there is a heaven and there is a hell, then that means you have some people that you need to affect. You have some people that you want to revolutionize by interacting with them. So today, I want you to look at that closest circle, your family and your friends. I want you to look across the table at them. I want you to understand where they're at. I want you to realize that even though this is your family, this may be the hardest group for you to actually share your faith with, but it still should be our number one priority. So I want to challenge you to take those closest to you into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. But there's something very different about this circle of influence. A lot of people would rather go halfway around the world and go on a, a short-term mission trip and share their faith with people there than they would with the individuals in their own family or in their own circle of friends. But to think about going to those closest to us and sharing our faith with them, it, it just paralyzes us. And why is that? And sometimes we ask rhetorical questions because we don't really know the answer. But this one, I know the answer to. And that's because these people know you better than anyone else. They know the mistakes that you've made. Your past is hidden from many people, but for them it's etched there in their memories. They know exactly what you've done in their lives. So there's nothing in the closet as far as your family and your closest friends are concerned. And there's a greater fear of rejection within this circle of influence because of your closeness to them. If I'm on a plane and I'm sharing my faith with this total stranger, if he rejects me, then I'm never going to see the guy again, and it's no problem. But if I share my faith with my father or with my best friend and don't get a good response, or maybe I write out there and tell them about Jesus, then the next time we get together, it's going to be kind of awkward, isn't it? So there are some ideas, as well as lessons, that we can learn about bringing those closest to us into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at John chapter 1 this morning, beginning with verse 35. The next day John was there with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said, and who followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So for starters, your relationship with Jesus has to be real. But Adam's faith was real, and that was where he began. And when he found out about Jesus, the first thing he did was bring his brother Peter to Jesus. Did you notice that Andrew 
didn't make the mistake that most of us do when it comes to family. Like, and there's something we want to say to a family member. Like, we usually wait. We procrastinate. We'll say, okay, at that family reunion next summer, I'll bring that tough topic up. Or maybe when we get together for Christmas, I'll bring that up. And Satan has a way of filling our minds with all these doubts, thinking that our family member or our friend is going to respond in a negative way, so we don't say anything at all to them. You don't have to be an expert. You don't need a degree in theology. A new Christian approached Dwight Moody. He was a great preacher back in the 1900s. And he said to him, how long does a person need to be a Christian before they start to share their faith? And that great Moody's response was, how long does a candle have to burn before it starts lighting up the room? So it's something that you can start right away. There doesn't need to be any hesitation whatsoever. So Andrew brings his brother to Jesus, and the mission statement of our church is to make more and better disciples. That means we want to bring more people that are outside of the relationship with Jesus Christ into relationship with him, and then we want to do the things that will enable those individuals to grow in their faith. So it's to reach people, to bring them into that relationship, so if you really care about people who are outside of Christ, then you will want to bring them into that relationship with you. If you have a battery-operated tool, and you leave it on the charger all the time, and you never use it, the battery will actually wear out. And it's not from overuse, but it's from lack of use. And it's the same thing with our, well, we can look at our laptops, our portable laptops. And portable laptop, no such thing. Our laptop computers. We unplug them and run the battery down, and then we plug them back in again and juice them back up again to keep that laptop working well. We do the same thing with our cordless phones. You run your battery down and then recharge it, and that keeps it healthy. But if you're constantly charging your evangelism battery and not taking it off that charger, then eventually it's just going to wear out and eventually you're not going to be sharing your faith at all with anybody. And you know something else? It's not just with your family that you share your faith. It's also with your close friends. Because like your family members, they know you best. And they are actually the easiest ones to talk to. So when we look at our text in John 1 again, we're going to pick it up in verse 43. And we see that there's someone else involved besides Andrew, someone else that's spending time with Jesus. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. And don't you love that phrase? Like, come and see. If there aren't any guilt trips here. Just come and see Jesus for yourself. And that's what we want people to do. When someone asks you, well, is church boring? Do you still stick to all the old traditions that have been done for hundreds and thousands of years? Well, you say, well, come and see for yourself. Like, What's it like to be a Christian? Like, help me understand your thought process here. 
and just say to them, well, well come and see. Like, how amazing is your senior pastor? Just say, well, come and see. Like, maybe tell them to stay home, I don't know. So how do we bring those closest to us into a close relationship with Jesus Christ? The first way is through your consistent example. Like when you talk about reaching out to those who are closest to you, your example is going to play a big part in all of this. As some people say, the proof is in the pudding. So if you lead a life of worry or a life of anger, then chances are your example isn't going to make much of a difference in the lives of those people that you're trying to reach for Jesus. Why would they want to have what you claim to have when you're not showing it in your life? There's a passage of scripture in the New Testament that speaks about reaching your family. And Paul writes a lot of helpful advice. And here's one time when we see Peter writing some helpful advice. And it's given specifically to wives who are married to a husband who isn't a believer. So we pick up in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands. Now that sounds like a lot of pressure is being placed upon the wives in those relationships. But we could sum that up by saying, wives, share the gospel by how you live your life, more so than by what you say. If someone said, I would rather see a sermon lived out than preached, and we don't want to take the preaching part out of there altogether. But it is true, if someone's not living what they're saying, then it's not going to have any effect whatsoever. Bible commentator William Barclay summarized this passage by saying, the quiet leading of a lovely life. And that's exactly what it is, the quiet leading of a lovely life. Now how many of you women here this morning started to attend church or became a Christian before your boyfriend or your fiance or your husband started to attend and became a Christian? I think most of them are going to be in the second service. We have one. There are actually 17 in our church, so they'll mostly be at the second service. Isn't that amazing? 17 women who started to attend church, maybe by themselves, maybe they brought the children with them, but their husbands eventually came and worshipped with them, got into a study, accepted Christ, and are now a part of this church as well. That's amazing to know. And it's amazing to see that witness that takes place. Like one woman talked about becoming a Christian before her husband. And she said that when she came to church, there was always this empty chair beside her. And she prayed to God that her husband would one day come and sit in that chair and have the opportunity to hear the gospel and then one day become a Christian. So your everyday example is going to attract people to Christ but hypocrisy is going to turn them away. 
So when you look across that table, who's at your table? And can you move any of those people into a closer relationship with Christ? Now, if you want to be able to look across your kitchen table to your family and, and close friends, then you need to be the same person regardless of who you're with. And don't be a different kind of person when you're gathered with a group of Christians than you are when you're with your family. There needs to be commitment. There needs to be consistency. Another way to bring people closer to Jesus is through your genuine excitement. That once Andrew found out who Jesus was, that he immediately went to his brother. He was just pumped. He was so excited. Like, we found this one that the scriptures had prophesied about. There wouldn't have been the powerful preacher that we saw on the day the church started if a few years before that, this timid, kind of introverted brother who was passionate about Christ hadn't invited his brother to come and see Jesus, to come and follow Jesus. Andrew couldn't wait once he met Jesus. And he didn't think about how it would be perceived. He didn't allow political correctness to temper his words. Instead, he just dove right in and he said, we found the Messiah. And it, it was excitement. And that's what happens when something new radically changes our lives. So what's that new thing that has made a big difference in your life that you couldn't stop talking about? It wasn't a new vehicle, or, or maybe it was a new HDTV, and now you see sporting events in amazing ways that you never could before. Maybe it's a new set of golf clubs. Maybe it's an exercise program or a healthy lifestyle program that you're involved in. And maybe you had LASIK surgery on your eyes, and now your vision is so much better, and you're talking to everybody else and, and saying, you know, you should go through, you should have this surgery. And my big excitement is that I now have glasses with progressive lenses and I can read the paper in the mornings. And I can read at night when I take my contact lenses out. I told you how the doctor got me a few more years with my contacts. And this one is for up close reading, this one is for distance reading, but I was still struggling with my glasses. So there are many things in our lives that we're excited about and, and we talk about. Maybe it's even a book that we've read and that really impacted our lives. And we tell other people about that. But have you noticed that even those things start to lose their enthrallment? And Satan has a way of doing that with us spiritually. And if we're not careful, it eventually becomes some decision that was made in the past more than something that is affecting us in the present. And pretty soon the gospel is just the old, old story, which it is, but it can become an old, old story to us. And we don't share it with those people that are in our closest circle of influence. So we just say, you know, this summer or next year, I'll do that. But my experience has been, the longer you wait, the less apt you're going to be to actually share the gospel with someone else. There's a very committed Christian couple, Bob and Sue, and they told about a time when they weren't so committed. And they said some friends of theirs who lived in their neighborhood invited them over for a meal. And they could sense excitement, but also nervousness with their friends. And then their friends finally said to them, look, there's something exciting that recently happened with us that we want to tell you about. But we recently met somebody, that person started sharing the Bible with us, and then 
It radically transformed our lives, and we've become Christians. And we want you to have what we have. And then Bob and Sue at first said, Oh, we're so excited for you because we're Christians as well. But then immediately there were two different sets of emotions in that room. The first emotion was with Bob and Sue, and it was embarrassment. And we've been friends with these people all these years, and they didn't know we were Christians. And the other set of emotions came from the neighbors. They were mad. They said, you have been Christians all these years, and you haven't told us about Jesus? How can that be? In their minds and in their hearts, the neighbors couldn't fathom how someone who had the knowledge of salvation through Jesus Christ wouldn't be sharing it with their family and with their friends, with those who were the closest to them. So it was a big wake-up call for Bob and Sue. They're no longer just kind of low-key Christians, but they're out there now in a big way. Now we can explain that story away by saying, well, I don't really want to force my beliefs on other people. I don't want to turn them off. Or we could say, my family knows where I stand, and, and if they want to talk to me about it, they know I'm over here, and all they have to do is come over, and I'll share with them about my faith. But how many people would be surprised if they found out that you were a Christian? Would they know it from the way you live your life? Would they know it from the words that you use? Would they know it from the fact that you've shared your faith with them? You've planted some seeds in their life. That you can't lead someone to a spiritual place where you've never been. And if your faith is real, then there will be a, a personal excitement that just flows through you. And it's going to make a difference in people's lives. Whether it's a quiet intensity that's just steady, but it's always there. Or maybe it's one that just overflows in a big way. Another way to bring people closer to a relationship with Jesus is through your creative efforts. So you plan a golf outing with the boys, and the purpose isn't to try and beat them in that game. It's to bring them there so that you can talk with them a little bit, have some conversation about the Lord during that round. Or maybe your family decides that they're going to take some food to a less fortunate family at Christmas. And it's not just so that you serve that family, but it's so that your family can become more like Jesus. Or maybe you use a week's vacation. You only have two, maybe three weeks. And you go to visit your brother's family. And it's not because they live in this area that is a great tourist mecca or anything like that. But you go there because nobody in your brother's family is a Christian. And you want to have that opportunity to make an influence in their lives. Maybe you invite an unbelieving family member or close friend to help when there's some project going on in the church. And this happened a number of times during our construction project. And we witnessed that. And, and then a number of years ago, Colin Beck, whose family were praying for at the loss of his brother Rory, the Colin befriended a Turkish dentist in Toronto. And Najet came down to Halifax in order to try to pass the dental exam to be able to practice dentistry here in Canada. And so Colin said, can you find a place for him to stay? Can you find some people for Najet to actually 
work on in order to pass his exam. So he needed three people. He, he wanted cavities in the first molars. They were the easiest teeth to work on. So I immediately went to the unchurched first. I, I was using this as a way of evangelism to see if he wanted some free dental work. Couldn't find anybody. I took them. They went to our dentist, never had cavities in those teeth, so the jet wouldn't accept them. So eventually, Sean Lockhart here in our church went, had two fillings done, and one other guy in the church went as well. But there are many different ways that we can use, imaginative ways, in order to, re to actually reach out to people. So replace your apprehension with creativity. And then in Matthew 5.13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Salt adds pizzazz to those things that are bland, to those things that are common. And Jesus is saying that he wants us to be salt in this world. He wants us to add some pizzazz to a world that is very common, a world that is outside of Christ. So you do that within your circles of influence. You use your creativity to express that Christ is real in your life. So look for travel opportunities. Look for family gatherings, traditions, special days. It might even mean you could read, excuse me, write a letter to someone that might pique some spiritual curiosity in their lives. In the New Testament, you might even remember there was a what happened with a dishonest tax collector named Levi. He was later known as Matthew, one of the disciples. And when he makes the decision to leave his dishonest ways and follow Christ, he can't keep that news to himself. He, he wants to share it with all his fellow employees. So he uses a creative way to bring those closest to him closer to Jesus. So look at Luke 5.29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating there with them. So do you, do you see what he did? He brought his fellow disciples, his new believing friends, he brought them together, and then he invited his lost friends who were on a path of greed and dishonesty, and he got them together in the hope that they would actually be influenced, that Matthew's new friends would influence his old friends. So he was so concerned about his friends who didn't know Jesus that he throws a party so that his old friends would be exposed to the teaching of Jesus. So they would have an inter a chance to interact with one another. That's a brilliant idea. And we actually call those Matthew parties today. And a number of families in our church have thrown Matthew parties. Sometimes it's been a birthday party where they bring Christian friends and non-Christian friends together. Sometimes it's been a housewarming. Sometimes it's just an occasion to have a party. But bringing in both sides so that the Christian friends can have an influence upon their unbelieving friends. So as you look across the table at those you hope to reach, there's one more critical step that you need to follow. And that's, you actually need to reach them with a sincere appeal. That, that one's so tough. That we can make the small talk. We can invite them to church. We can invite them to some special event, maybe Christmas Eve or one of our Easter or Resurrection weekend services. 
it's easy to do that or invite them to our children's vacation Bible school program or maybe invite their teenagers to come to our youth program. But when we share our decision with them that we've made about Christ and then gently push for a response on their part, that elicits all kinds of feelings of uneasiness and awkwardness and fear. And Rebecca Hippard Molenhouse, who wrote an amazing book on personal evangelism a number of years ago, she said this, that Christians and non-Christians have something in common. We're both uptight about evangelism. Christians are afraid of offending, while non-Christians are afraid of being assaulted. And, and then she goes on in the book to say when she's meeting with an unbelieving friend, she kind of lays a foundation by saying, I want to share something with you that is really important to me. And it's so important to me that I've got to share it with you. But I want you to tell me if I'm coming on too strong. Let me know that. And that's the way she deals with it in her situations, in the relationships that she has with unbelieving friends. She puts that right out there. This is so important to me. I just can't keep from sharing it with you. But if I'm too pushy or forceful in this, you let me know. So requesting a response is like going through uncharted waters. Now I know some will say, well, Greg, you don't understand. I'm a silent witness. Remember what you said about the quiet leading of a lovely life. You know, that, that's me. That, that's exactly the way I want to be. And, and that's good. But that's the foundation. But if you never verbally plant seeds, then you're never going to experience a harvest. So if you don't request a response, then don't expect a response. So there comes a point when you have to call for the question, when you have to challenge the person to basically get in or get out. It's decision time. And the plan isn't to impose your religious beliefs on someone else. It's to build a relationship. It's to become an encourager. It's to invest time in their lives. It's to attract them to God's Word and to Christianity so that they can then make a decision themselves. I like what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So think about your family. Think about your close friends. Are you prepared to go to them and give an answer for the hope that you have, for the hope that is within you? So in other words, tell your good friends about your best friend. So what's it going to take to do that? Is it going to take a, a radical change? Are you going to have to step up spiritually? That you've got to be serious about your own walk if you're going to influence others for Jesus. Just think of the impact that you can have on others. In Ephesians 6, verse 4, the Apostle Paul wrote, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So that's saying, Dads, you know, you're commanded to be the spiritual leader in your home, to shepherd, to disciple your own children. Mothers are told later on that they're entrusted with the responsibility of training their children in the way that they should go spiritually, the same instructions. So do you want your life to really matter? Do you want to do something really meaningful and great for God? Do you want to change the world in one generation? 
the quickest way to do that is to change your own family. That is your primary mission field. You bring up those young men and those young women to be warriors for Christ, and you will change the world. That will be your most enduring legacy, what your children are doing. If someone said, well, look at Noah. Noah preached for 120 years, and he only converted seven people. Only seven people became believers. But then you look at who the seven were. They were the members of his family. And he did something that many of us aren't able to do. Every one of his family became believers. Or maybe you're on the other side of all this. You're not in a relationship with Christ, and your family member has been sharing Christ with you. Or maybe a good friend has been sharing Christ with you. And they want you to make a decision to have Christ as the Lord of your life. A Lord who has overcome the grave and has risen again. A Lord who is so worthy that He wants you to be in relationship with Him. Make that decision as we stand and sing our commitment.